All right. Growing up, I always heard going into ministry from mentors and my parents, professors, things like that, you always need a pocket sermon. One day this became quite literal. Uh, we had a professor my sophomore year who retired, and he had this big office filled with books and Christian magazines, things like that, and he cleared it out, the things he wanted to keep, right? And then we got an email from the, uh, the Bible tomorrow, and they said, hey, whatever is left over, he doesn't want, come and grab. Whatever you want, whatever you left, whatever books, you can come in and take. And so me and my friends, we went to the office, we grabbed some books, we grabbed some commentaries, we grabbed some Christian magazines, but in that, I actually found a little square wallet card that said, Practicing the Presence of God. And I took that, and I wanted to share that with you today. This has become kind of a pocket devo for youth groups, and I was writing this out for this weekend for the teens, but it ended up being much longer than a devo, and it became a length of the sermon. So I told Doug, I'm changing my thing to the presence of God. And so I have the card right here. I can't really read it from that far, but it's kind of a pale color on the background, green lettering, practicing the presence of God. So I want to share that with you all today. The first point is today I will be incompetent. We live in a world that says you're perfect. Just the way you are, you're a perfect person. Whatever you do, you are perfect. Whatever life you want to live, you are perfect. Now the reality is you are loved by God, you're loved by your family, your friends, by your church, but you're not a perfect person. Now we are sinners, we have fallen short of the glory of God, and by his grace we are saved, but we are not a perfect people by any means. Romans 3, 22-24 says, Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Here, Jew and Gentile is the Jewish people of the faith, and Gentile is anyone who is not of that faith. There's no difference between the two groups because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by the grace of Jesus through the redemption that came by him. Neither party, the ones who are obedient to God for the most part, and the people who are completely absent of God, neither one is perfect. They have both fallen short of the glory of God. They've all sinned. And you see, we're born into sin. Ever since the fall, we have become a fallen people who live lives of sin, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean that there's not anything to aspire to, to get closer to God with. I'm sure we're familiar with Matthew 5.48 that says, Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this verse is scary for two groups of people, right? We have those people who are a bit lazier, and they say, Oh, I'll get there eventually. If I just kind of sit around and wait, you know, maybe the grace of God will save me, and maybe eventually I'll get to this perfection. But then we have our perfectionists, who even in their best work, they say, I didn't do good. This isn't perfect, this isn't great. And so this verse is scary for them, because they say, I'm being measured to the level of the Heavenly Father. How am I going to reach that level of perfection? Now I want to ease your minds a little bit. If we look at the Greek word, it's not perfect that it's saying, but rather be whole. Be complete. As your Heavenly Father is whole, be whole. As your Heavenly Father is complete, be complete. And that changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Now still, that's hard to obtain, right? Because God is much more whole, much more complete than we are. But it leaves something to be desired, something to reach towards. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to our sins, we might live for righteousness. So you have been healed by his wounds. 
You see, because Jesus died on the cross, we have something to live for. We have something to go and reach out towards. We have righteousness to go and seek out. At first, Peter doesn't say that because Jesus died for our sins, we can sit back and say, oh, he did the work, we're good. Now it says, he died so we can live for something better. He lives so we may be closer to God so we can strive for this righteousness. If we want to get closer to God, if we want a relationship with him, we have to realize, one, that we are sinners and broken people, but we have something to live for. Today I will be incompetent. Point number two, today I will be fully present to the people in front of me and to God. Being present is really hard in today's world. Uh, Like you said in the prayer, we have the Super Bowl coming up, and so distraction is there. I don't know if you all seen this, but just this week, Apple released the Vision Pro, which is a computer strapped to your face. You have access to Google with your eyes and fingertips. Talk about distraction. Beyond that, we all have phones in our our purses and pockets, access to the entire internet, your email, personal and work, all at your fingertips, distractions, and they're all around. I had this cousin, when we were growing up, we would go to our Christmas vacations together, right? And she, we both had these Apple watches. There's a walkie-talkie function, if y'all know about that. And you hold it down, you can talk to each other immediately from the watch. I used to love that thing. We would talk across the hotel, you know, find out where we're meeting up next, things like that. And she loved it because she could record her workouts, and she ran miles, and she did marathons, things like that. And then she moved to Abilene with her husband, and I went to visit her when she had her first kid. And I said, hey, you're not wearing your Apple Watch anymore. You still love that thing. Why aren't you wearing it? And she told me, it's become too much of a distraction with my friends and my family. You know, she's interacting with this husband, and she has a newborn that she's carrying and holding and taking everywhere, and his watch buzzing constantly is taking away from that time with her child. And so she said, I, I, I need to do away with this distraction. There's a guy I know, he was having lunch with his friend. And while they're having lunch, his phone is on the table, it starts ringing, and the friend says, oh, you can take that, I, I don't mind. He said, no, I don't, I, I'm not going to take that call. So it's all right, they keep talking, the phone rings, it goes to voicemail, it rings again. The friend says, hey, man, it's really okay. You can take this phone call. I really don't mind. And he said, no. Why would I take this call when I'm sitting here with you? I don't want to do that. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You see, we need to love the people around us. I think that's important. I think we know this. We need to love each other and give hospitality without grumbling. And the people I look back in college and high school, the ones I remember, the ones I loved the most, are the ones who were intentional. The ones who said, hey, how was your day? And I gave the, you know, obligatory good. And they said, no, really. How was your day? I don't want the offhand answer, the the greeting answer. I want the real conversation. The people who checked in, the people who said, I'm not going to take that call. The people who said, this device is a distraction to my life. These are the people that I remember and loved the most. But we also need to know that we need to love the people who it's hard to love. Right? The people who we say, you're not like us, you're different, we have different opinions, and so I'm going to step a bit further. I might talk to you a little bit, but I'm not going to fully interact. I don't want to do that. 
No, we need to love those people that we think it's harder to love and do that without complaining, without grumbling and showing complete hospitality, not incomplete. And being fully present with these people, the ones you love and the ones you don't, that's being fully present with God too because you're interacting with his people. The Sermon on the Mount says you can greet your people, you can talk to them, you can be friends with them, but if you just greet your people, what good are you doing? Even the hypocrites are doing that. And we're called to live for righteousness. We're called for something more. We shouldn't just greet our people. The ones we love, the ones we agree with, the ones we want to be around. No. We need to be fully present with the people that we, always, that we may not always want to be present with. I think that's important. Today I will be present. Point number three. Today I will be the Christ. Now, I don't know what this looks like to you. I'm sure we all have a mental image of what Christ looks like. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen or things like The Passion, and there's lots of different forms of media where we see the, the Jesus figure personified for us. And when I've seen these, these things, it's Jesus as a meek character. Walks around kind of quiet, doesn't really say much, and sometimes it's something spontaneous, and then he's quiet again. And he walks around, he says another thing that's really great, and it's from the Bible, and we love it, and that he's quiet again. But look at the people he's going around with. He has a fisherman team by his side. And these people were rowdy, they were dirty. They slept on top of their possessions they were afraid that other fishermen would steal what they owned. They didn't own much. This wasn't the best community to live in and these were Jesus' closest friends. Jesus was friends with zealots. He was friends with the IRS, Matthew the tax collector. These are undesirable people who are loud and rowdy and dirty. And to be a leader of this group, I imagine that you have to be a louder personality. A guy that can wrangle these groups, I don't think he's a meek and mild person. But he was a person who showed abundant love to everyone. To the sick, to the healthy, to the fishermen, to the tax collectors. He took everybody in and he loved them all. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my examples, I follow the example of Christ. Ephesians 5.1-2, through 2, follow God's example, dearly, dearly beloved, as children walk in the way of love, as Christ loved us. Philippians 2.5, you must have the same attitude as Christ. 1 Peter 2.21, to this you're called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you should follow in his steps. 1 John 2.6, Whoever claims to live in Christ must live as Jesus did. Follow his example. Love like children do the way that Christ did. Have the same attitude as Christ. Christ suffered for you. That's an example. Follow his example. And if you claim to live in Christ, you must live as he did. This is a multitude of verses of mimicking Christ, and I didn't even get past the tip of the iceberg here. And if the Bible is talking so much about why we should mimic Christ, I think that's something we really need to pay attention to. It's something that's really important in our faith. You see, maybe not right now, the clouds are covering, but if you walk outside, the sun shines so bright. It covers the entire land of Hobbes. You can see far in the distance. Even if you're blind or if you shade your eyes, you can still feel the warmth of the sun on your skin. In the same way that we feel that sunshine, we need our light of Christ to shine to other people. 
in a way that it's so brilliant and impossible to ignore. The same way that Christ loved other people. Today I will be the Christ. Point number four. Today I will see the Christ. And there's a common question I've heard in devotionals and family dinners. that We sit down and we say, where did you see God working today? I think that's a great question. I think it's a helpful question. But I'd like to tweak it a little bit this morning to say instead, who did you see God working through today? It's a different question. It's the same in some ways. It's still God working. But instead, it's who embodied Christ? Where did you see these people working in the way that Christ would work? Because just in the same way that all of you are called to be Christ and to follow in his footsteps, so is the person in front of you and behind you and next to you. Everyone here is called to be Christ just the same as us as individuals. I think there's something worth, there's a value seeing that in other people. In the same way that we're supposed to follow Christ, we're made in his image. And so is the people around you. And going back to Loving those people, it's harder to love. When you realize that that person in front of you was made in God's image, it's a little bit easier to love them. Because you know that God crafted them in a way so special, just the way that you're crafted. And God loves them, and we need to show that love as well. We need to be able to recognize that we are not an individual community. Christianity is not an individual faith, it is a community faith. Without that, we are lacking. And so today, I will see the Christ. We have four points. I will be incompetent. I will be fully present to the people in front of me and to God. I will be the Christ, and I will see the Christ. I think these are all great points and rooted in Scripture, but I think it's helpful to see it in a story form. So I want to turn to Galatians for you all. Before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the church, and he says himself in Galatians chapter 1, 11 through 24, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached to me is not based on a human point of view. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation by Jesus Christ. You may have heard about my former life in the way of Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree, and I tried to destroy it. I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, whom from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. No. Instead, I went to Damascus and Arabia and then after three years, I, I did get to know Cephas, and I stayed with him for 15 days. But I didn't see any other apostles except James, the brother of the Lord. Now when I write to you, I am not lying, for God is my witness. Afterwards, I went to the region to Syria and Sicilia, and I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. They simply kept hearing. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. I think this story of Saul is powerful. A man who said, I don't like this church, I want to destroy this church, he ends up 
finding Jesus, or rather Jesus finding him. And he says, I'm going to preach this. I'm going to tell people about this faith. And furthermore, he's preaching to Gentiles. And these Gentiles now believe because of Saul, even though he remains unknown in some churches. I say all this to preface a story about Barnabas in Acts chapter 9. I'll be reading from 26 through 31. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. They knew of his backstory, we heard, in Galatians. But Barnabas, however, he took him and brought him to the apostles and explained how on the road Saul had seen the Lord and that the Lord had talked to him. And in Damascus he spoke boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And so the church all throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. While Barnabas himself is trying to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, he's looking at this man, Saul, and he sees another man working. He sees another man being the hands and the feet of Jesus when no one else could. You see, these people, they were afraid of Saul. But Barnabas said, no, he is one of us. He vouched for Saul to be accepted into this brotherhood. See, Barnabas is a model for us. Barnabas is present, not just with Saul, but with the brothers that he's trying to convince that Saul is good to go. And see, Barnabas, he, he was the Christ. He is vouching for somebody who wants to be a part of the community. And he's being that community himself. And he saw the Christ. He's seeing and saw somebody who's trying to be Christ. You know, I'd be asking, what about the first point? What about the incompetency? Well, I promise you that Barnabas is just as much of a fallen person as you and me. Barnabas is not a perfect person. He was incompetent. He fell short of the glory of God and sinned as well. He is a model for us in the church. Today I will be incompetent. We need to recognize we are imperfect. And while we should and need to change, we need to realize that change doesn't happen alone. I like the comic Calvin and Hobbes, if y'all are familiar with that one. Uh, Calvin is a young boy and he has a best friend, Tiger, that he runs around with. And they're riding down in a wagon and Calvin says, I thrive on change. And Hobbes says, you? You threw a fit this morning because mom didn't put enough jelly like she did yesterday morning. And so Calvin revises his statement and he says, I thrive on making other people change. It's a bit different. And now I want to switch that up a little bit. We need to change, but like I said, we can't change alone. That's why we have the church. That's why we have community. We shouldn't thrive on just making other people change, but on being changed by other people. And of course, the church is great and we need the church, but without God, without Jesus, none of that change could happen. Because without Jesus, there is no salvation. There is no rescue. But we need to recognize first that we're incompetent, and we need that change by Jesus, by the church. Today I will be present. 
We need to rid ourselves of the distractions that are not just taking us away from God, but taking us away from each other. The things that we're saying, I'll focus on this and then I'll get to the people. No, we need to focus on our people first. We need to focus on God first. We need to be intentional and present. Today I will be the Christ. We need to follow the example that Barnabas set. Walking in the way of Christ, seeing Christ in others, but we also need to follow the example of Saul. See, Saul preached the Gospel. He was the Gospel when it was hard. He went to the apostles, the disciples, and said, hey, I want to be a part of this group. I want to preach just like you are. And they said, we're afraid of you. We don't like you. We don't want you here. And yet, Saul persevered. He pressed on. And then he's preaching to the Hellenistic Jews. And then they tried to kill him. But yet, Saul persevered. He was the Gospel. He preached the Gospel. Even when it was hard. Today I will see the Christ. We need to love like Jesus loved. Seeing that people are made in the image of God just the way that we are. Seeing Christ in the people the way that we try to see Christ in ourselves. We need to use the Spirit of God that is within us to guide us to love people better. To love people like Jesus did. And so in these four ways, I would just encourage you to try and practice the presence of God. And I think once we do that, we build more relationships with God. We have better relationships with the people around us. Pray with me real quick. Dear God, first of all, we thank you for your Son. We are a fallen and sinful people. Without him, we are not rescued, we are not saved. And God, we thank you for that salvation. We also thank you for the opportunity we have to be present with you, God. That you are a welcome God, a hospitality God, a God that says, come in and you don't grumble about it. But you say, you're here, and I want you here with open arms. God, we thank you for opening your door for us. God, I pray that we can be Christ as best as we can. I pray that you break our hearts and say, you are mine, and let us be yours, and follow your will, follow your word. And God, in the same way, I pray that we can see that in other people, that we can see the value in our brothers and sisters, God, that we can love them better and see you in them. God, we thank you for this community, and we thank you for the time we have this morning to worship you in freedom. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to have a song, and then I'll have an elder and Doug come up, and then if you want to come and talk to anybody, you can, and we'll sing. Thank you.